Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as all the best insight analysis and all the topics you're talking about in football. Today is Wednesday, which means it's your questions answered. And as you know, we normally, normally do a little bit of news at the top of the pod. But you guys, your questions are so on the button that we don't have to do that. We're going to go straight into questions because you're asking about what's going on today, tomorrow and over the next few days until the transfer window close. We're going to start with a question, Duncan, from Harry Willis. And uh, very simply says, is Dybala United a possibility? And following on from that, Hamdi10 has asked us, is Dybala going to accept United's offer or wait for Spurs? Now, we've talked a lot about Dybala in the last week, Duncan. We broke the story about how both uh, Spurs and United had spoken to his agent and brother, Gustavo. That was a week ago last uh, today, last Wednesday. On May the 7th, we broke the story that Manchester United had agreed in principle to pay Dybala's buyout clause. But of course, Dybala went off to Copa America uh, and then there was some uncertainty about who would replace um, Max Allegri at Juventus as manager. So it gave a natural pause for Dybala to take stock and decide his future. But things have moved on, Duncan, haven't they? And they're getting very, very complicated. Yeah, this is probably the most complicated um, transfer I've seen in this window because there are so many parts involved, particularly in Italy. Um, what you can say is that Manchester United have got themselves into a strong position in the sense that they have two clubs, um, Juventus and uh, Inter, uh, competing for Romelu Lukaku, a player who we know Willie Gunnar Solskjaer is happy to sell. We know wants to leave to Serie A, has been pressuring um, United to be allowed to go. Um, and Inter have made uh, some substantial offers already for the player which Manchester United have rejected. Um, United now have the option of Juventus taking Romelu Lukaku. Uh, Inter's position in this is interesting in that talking to people close to the club um, yesterday, Inter very sceptical that Juventus actually wanted Romelu Lukaku and they felt that this was a power play by Juventus to make the transfer uh, more difficult for Inter and, to, and most importantly, to increase the price of recu- recruiting the player. Why would Juventus want to do this? Well, Inter have just hired Antonio Conte, former Juventus coach, who left Juventus um, actually during um, pre-season, uh, causing the club a lot of difficulty several years ago. And what I'm told is that Andrea Agnelli, the, uh, the, the main owner of Juventus has not forgiven Conte for that and is quite happy um, to put Conte in a difficult position at Inter. Also to put Beppe Marotta 
um, a former senior uh, recruitment executive at Juventus in a difficult position with Inter because Marotta hired Conte. Marotta promised Conte that he would get Lukaku in. Everyone knows that Conte is extremely difficult to deal with in these kind of transfer situations. He's, he's famous for putting pressure on clubs to get the players he wants in as soon as possible. In fact, that was part of the reason why he walked out in Juventus several years ago and, why, and where this conflict with Agnelli comes from. Um, Conte is doing that at the moment. He's, he's essentially told Inter, look, I told you I wanted Lukaku in. I told you I wanted Eden Zeko in. I told you I wanted Mauro Icardi out. Um, Icardi is still here. You don't have Zeko. You don't have Lukaku done. Um, I want this now because I need these players in for pre-season to uh, test them out, uh, test out the tactical systems and the shape I want to play, practice on it. Um, Conte is a manager who, who drills his players extensively, uses very set patterns in the way they attack, something that's been extremely successful for him at Juventus, extremely successful for him at Chelsea. But it's, it requires repetition and training ground work. And obviously, if you don't have the players you're going to play with, there isn't any repetition and training ground work to be done. So, so Inter are under pressure at that end. Um, they... They feel this is a power play, as I said. However, I've, I've talked to um, people close to Lukaku and they are clear that this is a genuine um, proposal from Juventus, that they are genuinely interested in signing the player um, and also that Lukaku would be interested in going there. He has a choice of the two clubs. Um, he wants to get out of United for obvious reasons. He wants to be in Serie A. He's spoken publicly about that. If the way of getting to Serie A is to go to Juventus, well, it's not such a bad uh, move to go to the, a team that's won eight consecutive Serie A titles and been com very competitive in the Champions League for uh, several years. Um, on top of this, however, Juventus can't just buy Lukaku um, and add him to their current squad. They have uh, three strikers at present, who, two of whom I'm told they need to shift out uh, to make this deal happen, but also just to, to rebalance their squad um, and to get some revenue in and to, and to remove the salary uh, off their, their wage bill. One of those is Paolo Dybala. Um, the other two, Gonzalo Higuain um, and Mario Mandzukic. Um, Dybala, I'm told, is the one they would least like to sell. If they had an option, Maurizio Sarri would like to retain Dybala because he feels he can use him in the team um, as one of the starting forwards with Douglas Costa and Cristiano Ronaldo. Not to start every match, but to start a good percentage of matches. Um, Mandzukic they definitely want out. Uh, he's a difficult guy to handle in the dressing room. One of Max Allegri's uh, strengths as manager was his ability to keep Mandzukic on board, but he probably did that with the cost of, of, of making Dybala a slightly peripheral figure. Uh, Juventus, I'm told, don't have any serious offers from Mandzukic at this stage. The other one's Gonzalo Higuain, a player that Sari has um, championed in the past, obviously at Napoli, bringing him to Chelsea. Um, but expensive, and, and as we've seen in the Premier League for the last six months, not nowhere near the top of his, his game. 
Uh, AS Roma are interested in signing Higuain, but it's a difficult deal for them to complete. So, and that's not all of the complications. I think, Ian, you can fill us in on some of the other elements in this in terms of Napoli and other clubs moving for players and, and what Mauro Icardi wants to do. Indeed. Um, this really is, you're right, Duncan, it's, we talk about transfer merry-go-rounds. This is a transfer super merry-go-round in terms of uh, not just Serie A. But as you said, United are probably the ones sitting back right now and thinking, OK, we can uh, make hay here. Uh, depending on um, what moves are then guaranteed. So Napoli have made uh, a firm offer for Mauro Icardi, which of course uh, Inter need to get Icardi out to in order to pay for Lukaku. That offer currently stands at €72 million, Euros, which is not quite the money they'd be expected to pay for Lukaku, but certainly would make Lukaku deal much more tenable uh, and, and affordable for, for Inter. Um, so if that goes through, then Inter would be in a strong position to then meet Manchester United's uh, asking price for Lukaku. However, Manchester United, as I said at the top of the uh, the pod, are keen to get Dybala. Uh, they have been interested for some months now. Um, and, a, for, and from their point of view, a swap deal with Lukaku and Juventus would suit them because it would take the salary of Lukaku uh, and the transfer fee they, they are asking for and basically swap it for what would be a much more um, so a, a player who would fit into Solskjaer's plans of playing 4-3-3 next season with uh, uh, Dybala playing on the right and uh, probably Rashford through the middle uh, and Martial possibly as well. So what United would prefer, I think, would be a swap deal with Lukaku to Juventus. The complication at the United end on this one is that uh, Dybala's agent and brother, Gustavo, uh, as is normally the way, and you've heard us talk a lot on the transfer window about how family, when they're involved in terms of representing players, uh, expect to be well paid, more well paid than professional agents. Uh, with regards to uh, the money they receive because effectively they are securing their own financial future off the back of the person that they are representing. Now, United are sceptical about this because they feel like they were made a bit of a fool of by Mino Raiola. We should say not a relative of Paul Pogba, uh, but Raiola secured upwards of €20 million in commission for the move uh, at the time, the world record move of, of Pogba to Manchester United. Gustavo was asking the reason of 12 million euros paid up front, not over the course of the contract. And United are certainly uh, cautious, if not very apprehensive, about being caught again in the situation where they're shelling out a much bigger commission fee than would be normal for transfer of this size. We should point out the normal commission, and I say normal, i.e. the percentage commission on a transfer, any transfer, whether it's £10,000 or £100 million, uh, is between 6 and 8% of the total fee, which normally is paid over the course of the contract of the player in instalments. But recently, in order to get deals done, bigger clubs, especially uh, clubs uh, in Champions League and positions where they need to buy the player, have been able to be bent, if you like, into or certainly forced into paying the commission up front, which of course leaves the agent in a brilliant position because if the player then leaves the club in the course of the contract, he's already been paid all of his commission up front and there's no um, comeback to be had in terms of him refunding any of that money 
to the club that's paid it, and then he gets paid in the next commission on the next move. And that's the position that, of course, Raul is in right now, should uh, he get his client to go to Real Madrid, having been paid upwards of 20 million euros already by Manchester United. He'd be expecting the same, if not more, from Real Madrid. So Manchester United, as I said, once bitten, twice shy. They're not keen to pay that kind of commission, especially not up front. However, um, it is very advantageous to them to do a swap because there would be almost no cash involved. You have to say the 12 million euros they would probably write off if they have to because Dybala is such a quality player and could be the kind of player who would not just excite Manchester United fans but could possibly ignite a reasonably competitive season in what obviously has been a very uh, you know disappointing spell for them uh, since Sir Alex Ferguson left. So you've got a triangle happening here. There's a card that goes to the Napoli Inter in the position to pay the full fee. Uh, at that point, um, Juventus would want Lukaku, but they would have to get a Cardi out to do that. And then you've got Manchester United sitting in the background saying, "You guys decide what you want to do in terms of you know your fees, your transfers, wh- who you want in, who you want out. But when you're ready to deal, come back to us because we've got the key in all of this, which is Romelu Lukaku, and then." We, we decide what's best for us. And we know that Lukaku would happily join either UV or Inter. Um, in fact, if anything, you'd have to say from Romelu Lukaku's point of view, Juventus would be an upgrade. You know, they are currently champions of Serie A, uh, Champions League serial uh, qualifiers, but also um, played in two finals, genuinely reached the, the semi-final stage as well. So Lukaku's dream of winning the Champions League as well. Um, becomes you know a, a very kind of graspable reality. Yeah, I think I think uh, it's right, Duncan. I think in this case, United in the box seat here. Um, they've got the one card that both clubs want. Um, it will depend on Icardi, uh, who, as we know, is a difficult character. Although I think Icardi and Napoli are probably a match made in heaven. Um, so I think that was one. That's one that may well go 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 through, which makes it a, a lot easier for United to deal with both clubs and play them off each other. I think you're right to point out the possibility of conspiracy theory of you know, UV and Inter trying to wind each other up with regards to past uh, experiences of their different employees being there and being here. But um, I think in the end, it will come down to cold, hard cash. Just to add a couple of extra layers of complexity to this, Icardi... Because we need it, Duncan. <laughs> yes, because Manchester United need it, because Juventus need it, and Inter need it. Icardi is making it as hard as possible for um, Inter to shift him and once paid up on his contract. Um, he's told them he's not leaving Italy. He'll only move to another club in Serie A. He would like to go to Juventus or Napoli. Inter do not want to consider the prospect of moving him to Juventus for obvious reasons because he scored a lot of goals in Serie A and could have an exceptional season for Juventus so they're trying to avoid that I'm also told they don't want to sell him to Napoli if they can help it and they're trying to push the deal to Roma um, because they see Roma as not being properly competitive and the safest place to shift him out Dybala, what's his view of all of this? Well, Dybala I'm told would like to stay at Juventus, but has a condition. And the condition is he wants to be sure that he's a starting player in the team. He does not want another season like he had under Allegri last year, where he wasn't counted on. Um, He had a very poor 
Um, with 24 starts in Serie A, five goals, five assists, which if you look at his, his career statistics, they're, they're really very good. I mean, 150 Serie A starts, 73 goals, 37 assists. You know, they're, they're exceptional numbers for a, a 25-year-old player. He wants to know if he stays there that he's in that team. And, and I'm not sure Sari can give him that. I think Sari sees him as being a starter some of the time for certain games, as a, as a kind of um, nine and a half or a false nine between Costa and, uh, and Ronaldo. But having a big striker of the, the Lukaku, Higuain type, who he's worked with in the past for other games and other solutions. So probably Kabbalah's answer, and, and to, as, a, as a marker of how keen he is to try and re-establish himself at Juventus, he came back early from his holidays post-Copa America. He was only due back on the 5th of August and he's come back to train to try and find out where he is and to convince Sari to use him as a starter. But it does look like that's not going to happen for him. And as we say, Juventus have to raise cash and, and he's the, the sellable asset. Also add here that Juventus have, have already agreed a deal for another of their, their strikers or forwards, um, Moise Keane, who they've agreed to sell to Everton um, for a fee uh, that will rise to 40 million euros. Um, interestingly, they wanted to include a buyback in that deal, so an option to buy Keane back um, in a couple of years' time if they felt that he'd improved as they expected him to prove. And usually those buyback deals are for, for twice the, uh, the transfer fee paid by the buying club, Everton insisted that no buyback would be included. And I think um, the fact that they've agreed without the buyback deal shows you where Juventus are in terms of the necessity to raise cash and shift players around. So again, that's, that's something that, that um, doesn't help Dybala's case and aids Manchester United's position in all of this. And Duncan, we sh I'd like just to refer to as well, there's been a lot of debate um, with you guys out there, our listeners, on our timelines and on the transfer podcast timeline um, about, well, you know, when does a transfer become a transfer? You know, sometimes you guys report stuff's happening and then it doesn't happen, et cetera, et cetera, and it can all become a bit frustrating. These, When we talk about transfers, it's easy enough, I think, easily uh to interpret this as simply a power play between the clubs and the agents and the financial muscle of whichever club is buying another one that's selling. And we sometimes forget the human element here. The player who's the one being transferred has a say as well. And I know that may sound a little bit obvious, but I think sometimes this gets lost, Duncan, and we, we sort of forget a little bit between the numbers because they're so large in terms of the wages and the commissions and the transfer fee themselves. But the players themselves do have a say. And as you mentioned there just now, Dybala, you know, ideal, ideally would like to stay at Juventus. Um, however, he's considering his career in terms of how much game time he'll get. He's been deprived of that uh, in his last season under Max Allegri. Uh, we know that Sarri uh, likes to have a point striker um, and Dybala would like to play centrally, much in the way Sergio Aguero plays for Manchester City. Now, he may well get the chance to do that Man Manchester United because they may well rotate with Rashford. And if, let's say, if Dybala 
was to go to Old Trafford and started scoring goals for fun, then you know I would say Rashford's position as the first choice central striker would be in danger because Rashford can also play wide as well. So it's as I said it's, it's you've got to remember everyone that you know it's not just the clubs, the agents that decide on these things. The players do have a say, and if they say I don't want to do that, I just want to stay where I am. And this includes uh, Mauro Cardi, who's been very difficult to get out of Inter. Romelu Lukaku is a different case. He really wants out of Manchester and wants to go to Serie A. So his agent's probably in Clover right now because he knows what his client wants. But Dybala and Icardi are two different uh, cases. And they will have a big influence on what happens to them in their careers. So it's easy for us and easy for anyone to speculate upon where the next um, stop for these players will be. But those players have an input and they will ultimately decide where they want to go. So if Dybala wants to stay at Juventus, he will. Um, but if you're told by the club that they want to sell you and you get a really good offer, then the likelihood is you're more or less going to go. Especially, I think, if Lukaku joins Juventus, Dybala is much more likely to leave because he sees himself going down the pecking order again. Yeah, look, there's so many moving parts and transfers. You just look at the, the, the simplest possible deal, which is a Premier League club wants to buy a player from, let's say, a French club and they're the only bidder. Um, you're still in a deal like that. You've got to satisfy the selling club's requirements for the player. You've got to convince the player that it's the right club for him to come. It's the right time to move. You've got to satisfy his financial demands. You've got to look after the agent. Um, you've got to have the player, if he has family, um, the family to be happy switching countries. Then he's got to pass a medical. And that's the, that's the simplest possible transaction. Once you start moving multiple bidders for, um, for a player into the, into the picture and add the, the requirement for the, the selling club to find a replacement, then it, it gets far, far more complicated. And most of these deals are far, far more complicated because when you're talking about spending 80 million euros um, for one individual, it's highly unlikely there's only going to be one bidder for that, that individual. And it's, it's very unlikely that the, the deal is going to happen rapidly. Um, and you know what we're reporting on here are the moving parts as they move quite often very early in the transactions. Um, and what we're telling you is what is happening. So a club is interested in, or they've made an offer for, or, they, or they've approached, or a player's trying to uh, is unhappy with his position and is looking for options elsewhere. Um, that can turn into multiple different outcomes, um, and they're not necessarily, in fact, only a small percentage of those outcomes is ever going to be a complete transfer. That's just the nature of uh, football business. And, and if you want to hear the player's perspective on, on it, go back um, a couple of, of podcasts to when we interviewed uh, Ben Foster at Watford, who's been through multiple transfers in his career. And, and he gives a very interesting insight into the player's side of how that happens, how those deals happen, how, how, he's, how they're not often all, always aware of things that are going on around them um, and how uh, there is uncertainty until the, the very last minute, until they, they sign the contracts as to whether deals will go through. Um, that's just the nature of the business and that's, that's what everyone um, who listens to this podcast, I guess, are interested in and we, you know, we try, and, uh, try and give you as much information and insight as possible upon
And from one relation, Duncan, looking after a player uh, in Dybala, to another, and uh, our listener Matthew Benjamin asks a, a very nice segue question, and again, a very newsy one. Does a Dybala uh, swap deal affect any move for Bruno Fernandes to United? Bruno Fernandes, of course, is represented by his brother-in-law. I don't think that will make any significant difference to Bruno Fernandes. I think that if, and this is a very, very big if, Manchester United decide to do something with Bruno Fernandes, it will be driven by Paul Pogba's exit from the club. Um, I think they, he is one of the options, one of many options they've been looking at as a possible uh, replacement for Paul Pogba. There has been a huge amount of reporting on this, um, on Bruno Fernandes through the summer. Um, you may remember, um, I think probably a couple of months ago, we we told you that uh, quite uh, extensive reporting that Manchester City were um, a step away from signing Bruno Fernandes was incorrect, that there'd been no offer um, to Sporting for, for, for Bruno from Manchester City and that Manchester City weren't interested in taking the player, a stance that uh, Manchester City subsequently underlined and Sporting confirmed. Um, as of yesterday, Sporting had not received any offers um, from the Premier League or Serie A um, for uh, Bruno Fernandes, according to Sporting. Um, I, as of recently, very recently, I think last weekend, um, Sporting, upon being asked about Manchester United's interest in Bruno Fernandes, uh, told a friend of mine, I don't know why the press keep talking about Manchester United. We haven't had any contacts at all with the club. They basically handed over the, the selling of Bruno to his brother-in-law, his agent, and the brother-in-law has been telling Sporting a bid is going to come, a bid is going to come. Manchester United, Tottenham, um, other clubs are interested in the player. Um, we, they've told me they will make an offer and um, it will be an offer that will be acceptable to Sporting. The Sporting have been allowing the agent to carry on that route. I think that is the source of a lot of these stories. Um, I think if you want to go and dig a bit about the what's emerged on, on Bruno Fernandes uh, yesterday, that I, I think there was a, a fairly substantial report that, again, he was a step away from signing for Manchester United. You can, you can dig back and you'll see, it. as far as I can see, it, it's sourced to an answer, which is an Italian news agency report, in uh, which was run by one of the, the prominent Italian newspapers. And it was basically talking about Sampdoria being due a percentage of the transfer fee where Bruno Fernandes um, to move um, for the kind of money that, that Sporting are asking, which is varied between 55 and 60, 65 million euros. They've made various public statements on this, how much Sampdoria would get. Um, and that appears to have been blown into uh, people reporting and doing a kind of Chinese whispers to the effect that Manchester United were just about to pull the trigger on the deal. As I say, sporting stance on that is they have no offer from, from Manchester United um, and we'll wait and see if that changes. But this has been going on for so long now. It does seem that United's interest is no more than 
one of being an option rather than any, anything substantial. I'm told there has been one offer from another European club for Bruno this summer, and that's come from Olympic Marseille, um, now managed by André Villas-Boas. Um, so there's an obvious connection there in Villas-Boas um, being interested in, in taking a player who, who had an exceptional season in Portugal um, as, a, as a central component of his new midfield. Sporting say that that offer came nowhere near their valuation of the player and has been rejected. So that's pretty much where it is with um, with with Bruno Fernandes. Um, it's if if you talk to some people, the the, the basic uh, analysis is that the the agent is out of his depth in in, a, in the way he's been working, and that the agent's certainly been feeding information that's proved to be inaccurate um, about bids from various clubs in order to presumably drive the market and get the kind of fee. That um, the sporting have been asking for for the player. But anyone bites in the in the remaining weeks left? Well, he hasn't got long left if it's going to be a move to England. He's got a, a good deal of time left if it was going to be a move to Italy, which quite a few observers think is a more um, likely outcome. Um, but it, uh, it there also seems to be a, a strong chance that he'll end up remaining at Sporting, particularly with Sporting um, saying that they're not going to sell the player on the cheap. Now, Duncan, it is the case, as we both know, um, from our journalistic careers uh, especially, that uh, there's a rule of thumb regarding how you market a player as his agent. And that rule of thumb is, if you have lots of interested parties, and by that I mean firmly interested parties, then you say nothing to the media because you're not going to compromise your business interests by making them public. However, if you've got very few firm interests or none at all, then you brief the media as much as you can by saying that this club's interested and that club's interested because you're trying to create a market for your client in order to effectively make one club think they're going to miss out on a player against another, etc., etc., and certainly the latter seems to be the case uh, for Bruno Fernandes in this this particular window. It's also it's fair to say, and you know, our contacts in Portugal tell us that this is a guy whose stats stand up against anyone's in Europe in terms of being a goal scoring midfielder and uh, his pass completion rate, his ball retrieval rate, his um, uh, interventions rate, etc., etc. He's almost a statistical analysis dream. So you feed him through your uh, your software and he will come out as one of the top midfielders in Europe. However, again, if you speak to people who have actually watched Sporting play this season, they'll tell you that one of the reasons for that is because he's in a relatively poor side, um, he gets possession deferred to him because he's, one, he's the best player in the team. <clears throat> he will take shots from outrageous distance, outrageous angles. So the amount of goals he's scored is commensurate to the amount of short attempts he's had. So he's look, his stats, again, look great for a midfielder in terms of goals um, scored, but actually goals converted from chances isn't as great. And so anyone looking at Bruno Fernandes from a statistical point of view would say, OK, this guy looked brilliant, why aren't we buying him? And then you talk to people and they say, well, he's just a good player and a bad team. Now, I'm not saying that he's not a good player. I think he is a very good technical player, but whether he's of standard that suits you know, top four in the Premier League or indeed any other major league is open to um, 
at least debate. At this moment in time, I think the best way I could kind of um, make an analogy is uh, all of you out there, <clears throat> I'm sure, have been in a position in the school playground or in your five-a-side pitch, and two captains are picked, and then they have got a chance to pick each player that they want, and Bruno Fernandes is last man standing. Would that be fair, Duncan? <laughs> I think it's. I think that's a, a bit harsh. Um, I think. Look, I think he. Ironically, I think he would fit Manchester United the way Solskjaer wants to play well. In that um, Solskjaer is emphasising this uh, high uh, technical, speedy game, um, play on the front foot, and I think he does have the elements. Um, to play that way he, he could work as a high pressing midfielder um, he does create chances he does score goals I think he also um, would fit well to the kind of midfield that Maurizio Pochettino wants to, to build at Tottenham and he has been um, strongly linked with, with Tottenham as well and there are people in the game who think um, that Tottenham are trying to do that deal um, I, I, all I can reiterate is that from Sporting's perspective they have not had an offer from either of those clubs and they say there hasn't even been any contact uh, with Manchester United for the player I think I think also we've got to put into perspective here the price so um, Bruno Fernandes could have left Sporting a year ago in the same way someone like Rafael Leon um, chose to leave Sporting and moved to Lille and is now um, almost certainly going to be an AC Milan uh, player. Um, he decided to remain at Sporting. He did a deal with the club in which uh, were an offer to come in for 35 million euros this summer. He would be allowed to leave unless Sporting compensated him um, with a, a 5 million uh, payment to retain him, a direct payment to him. His release clause, I think, is 100 million euros. As I say, Sporting are asking 60 million euros. So, you know, 35 million euros for a midfielder from Portugal is already a very substantial transfer fee. I think people get lost in just how much money that is. 60 million um, would probably be the second highest transfer fee ever taken by a Portuguese club. I might be just off on that, but it'll be close. Um, so, uh, Jean-Félix has moved to Atletico for 120 was way out of proportion to anything that had ever been done in, in Portugal before. These are not financially powerful clubs. They're, they're clubs where you can usually buy for um, reasonable fees, very high quality players. So 60 million for Bruno Fernandes, 55, 60 million is a very substantial transfer fee for a central midfielder. It, it, get lo it, it probably gets lost in the numbers we've been talking about this summer when you, you have you know, 80 million Nicola Pepe to Arsenal, um, Manchester United asking for £75 million back on Romelu Lukaku. You've got Leicester City asking for a world record fee for Harry Maguire. Um, but it, it's a big investment. So you have to be absolutely sure um, that the player is top level to spend that kind of money on him. And I think that's the problem. That's part of the problem Bruno has here on top of an inexperienced agent who's um, not been handling the selling process well. So, Duncan, if we're shopping in Portugal, quick question, Poundland or Aldi? 
<laughs> or Euroland. Let's say Euroland. Look, it's a good place to shop. It, it, Portugal produces a, a huge number of, of talented players. Um, look through the look at the how how good the, the Portuguese national team is at the moment. Um, you know, obviously, the best player in the world is originally from Portugal. You've now got. John Felix um, going for 120 million and being regarded as a as a potential successor to that. You've got Bernardo Silva, who I would argue is the best player in the Premier League last season. Um, Wolverhampton Wanderers, big cohort of Portuguese players, technically very good, um, and also winners. So it's not a bad place to shop, but that doesn't mean you go and spend um, Harrods prices for for Portuguese players unless you're absolutely sure you're getting that that kind of quality. Or, of course, in uh, the case of our old friend Nico Gaetan, who, after 10 years of being linked to Manchester United, has ended up at Chicago Fire. Moving forward from the Nico Gaetan ruse to our, our very good friend Tommy Staggs, uh, regular listener to Transfer Podcast. Thank you, Tommy, for your uh, continued support. And you've asked the question, Mason Greenwood, United, Ryan Brewster, Liverpool, Reese Nelson, Arsenal and Mason Mount Chelsea. Which of these two, these young talents do you guys see having the biggest impact this season? And which do you think has the most potential? Cheers, guys. Duncan, you want to go first? You go first, Ian. Um, OK, well, I think it's a bit of a no-brainer, to be honest. Um, Mason Mount is someone who played almost every game under Frank Lampard at, at Derby County on loan. <clears throat> was given a five-year contract. Uh, just two weeks ago as a endorsement of what both Frank mainly and the club think of him. Uh, I think that he will not necessarily be a every game starter. Let's face it, he's got um, a lot of competition in international um, experience with uh, Jorginho, with uh, N'Golo Conte. Um, they are already playing. Uh, so uh, I think his uh, his development will be substantial next season with regards to the amount of Premier League minutes he gets. Uh, I do think that Lampard has complete faith in him, but at the same time will try and uh, protect him to a certain degree with regards to not playing him in every single match. Uh, in terms of his potential, well, you know, I think if any any of one out there watched Tim play for Derby last season, you would say that the movement that he uh, produces off the ball, uh, his control in possession his vision to take it, take in passes, to um, pass the ball out. Uh, his pass completion rate is exceptional. So I think his potential is certainly there. And I do think that of the uh, four players who Tommy has asked us about, my, I think, uh, answer would be Mason Mount would be the one uh, who will have the biggest impact in the coming season. And remember, of course, that is also governed by the fact that Chelsea have that transfer ban Although he did sign Mateo Kovac, who also plays in that same role, because he they had a buy-in clause with uh, Real Madrid. Um, I think I agree with you uh, that Mason Mount has the, the the best chance of being the of having the biggest impact this season because I think he's going to play. Um, that's you know Frank, Frank Lampard's plan is to is to use him um, in that number ten role, and ultimately, if you're if you're not on the pitch, it's pretty hard to have an impact. Um, of the the four, the one who's been mentioned to me as as having the most potential um, by someone I trust in terms of assessment of players 
um, particularly younger players, is Mason Greenwood. Um, he thinks he has the possibility to be the top English striker in the game if he's developed in the right way um, at Manchester United. Um, ability, uh, particularly off two feet, um, which separates him out from a lot of other players. Um, so it could be a good season for the Masons, um, which may go down well with some odd groups who watch Premier League football. <laughs> I could say one group of fans that would go down with, but I don't I think I have to, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, and you all, you know who you are. We're not going to point you out or indeed lift our trouser leg. Um, now, uh, another quick question uh, from our fantastic listeners. Jimmy asks, and that's a good question because some people don't really um, sort of take the time, I guess, to, um, or indeed it's not very well explained because clubs don't like talking about it. Uh, Jimmy asks, what is the significance of handing in, then quotation marks, a formal transfer request, Duncan? The significance is, and, and this is why you do rarely see players ever handing in the infamous formal transfer request, is it costs the player money. Um, once you uh, demand a request to leave the club um, and do that in a written uh, statement to the club that you no longer want to work for them, then you lose the rights to all your bonus payments on your contract. So if you have loyalty payments written into the contract, which are pretty standard these days, is a way of, of for exactly the reason, a way of persuading players to remain at the team. Um, if you're sold without a formal transfer request going in, those loyalty payments will still be due to you from the club that, that hired you, and they will have to pay those loyalty payments out of the transfer fee they receive from your new club. But once you request that transfer, your rights to those loyalty payments disappear. Uh, so in effect, you're, um, you're prepared to throw away a certain amount of money, and it can be significant amounts of money uh, on some of these uh, contracts to move to your new club. And of course, when you move to that new club, you will say to them, I had to put in a formal transfer request to um, facilitate this move. So I've, I've, I expect to be compensated uh, in my new deal uh, to make up for the, for the money I handed over. And, and in a lot of cases, they will be compensated. But you also get occasions where the player um, wants to move uh, because it, uh, it, it suits their career. This is a, um, a phrase normally used mainly by agents, has to be said, not by the players themselves, but last call and transfer saloon. It's basically <laughs> the, it's hitting the nuclear button uh, because nobody benefits financially um, on the player's side if he puts in a formal transfer request. Because bizarrely, in the nature of football, if you don't formally ask to leave, then it's deemed that the club want to sell you. Therefore, you're considered to be owed compensation. I think as we discussed on the transfer window in the last seven days, that means that you can expect between 50 and 70% of the remainder of your contract. Case in point, Gareth Bale, who refuses to leave Real Madrid because he will earn €63 million Euros net should he complete his contract. Case in point, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, when he left Paris Saint-Germain to join Manchester United, Everyone knew he was going. Everyone in the world knew he was going, but he didn't sign a contract until after the 30th of June. Why? Because he completed his contract at Paris Saint-Germain, 
which meant it was due a €5 million Euro net bonus. Loyalty bonus, would you believe, despite the fact that he was leaving the club. And this is how football works. There is a gravy train which cannot be stopped, and the people having the gravy have probably got pies and potatoes to go with it. So there we go, Jimmy. Thanks for the question. We are now going to move on to the infamous Donkey Awards, I'm pleased to say. And um, I think fair to say, Duncan, as well, I've got quite a nice one this this uh, this week. We like to try and bring you guys the best of the, uh, let's, let's just say, left field Donkey Awards. And this week, we're going to take the position of the South Korean football fans who are have formally lodged a legal claim against the one and only Cristiano Ronaldo for the fact that he was contracted to play 45 minutes in a friendly against the K-League uh, All-Stars in Korea, but did not make any appearance whatsoever. Now, as a result, the fans have decided to employ illegal um, uh, well, lawyers to represent them and sue for their $59 per ticket plus commission fee as well. Now, strange story this, but one that we at the Transfer Window podcast love to pick up on, make you aware of it, and then convert it, of course, into the Donkey Award. So this week, the coveted Donkey Award is in honour of those South Korean fans and it is going to be given to the biggest no-show in football. Now, you might think Christian Ronaldo was the biggest no-show in football for South Korean fans, but we have three wonderful uh, nominations for you, and I'm just going to tear open the Christian Ronaldo Golden Boot envelope here. There we go. Duncan, it's up to you to decide. I think we've got three wonderful candidates here. Uh, I think it's going to be one of the most difficult decisions you've made uh, all year, actually. First is the legend that is Fernando Torres uh, for his um, entire Chelsea career. Was that the biggest no-show ever? Well, we're about to find out. Second is the Bin Zayed group, who um, intimated that we're going to take over Newcastle United, uh, did a lot of um, PR and uh, a lot of promises, only to suddenly disappear without trace. And the third, <laughs> possibly my favourite, the biggest no-show in football is Premier League trophies at Anfield. Duncan, it's up to you. <laughs> um, well, you know, Fernando Torres, always a strong candidate for um, that uh, very, very uh, misadvised record transfer that uh, Chelsea made uh, Rome, uh, on, on behalf of Roman Abramovich, having chased the player time and time again. And, um, and Liverpool, very cleverly, not allowing him to take a proper medical before he signed him. And uh, we also, uh, the outcome there. The Binzaya group, um, I think we saw Mike Ashley give an interview last week in which he threatened, I don't think threatened is the right word here, um, the Newcastle United fans with the prospect of that he would uh, could see himself remaining owner of the club forever um, and talked about how uh, no proper offer had come in for the club. And Duncan, despite... I, sorry for interrupting there, but if he's going to be owner of Newcastle United forever, does that make Mike Ashley God as an immortal? <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, perhaps Mike Ashley believes he's immortal. I've but, heard he's been uh, mortal a few times, but I'm not sure about immortal. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, the Binzaya group have some explaining to do, given the, the nature of their um, uh, multiple public statements during that process, um, and uh, and they're um, very 
blatant no-show. But I think this one really does have to go to, to Liverpool. Um, no Premier League trophy, um, heading into a third decade of, of uh, trying to, to bring England's uh, top trophy back to the club. And um, obviously a great opportunity to, to bring that no-show to an end in this coming season. Um, a lot of confidence uh, on Anfield and around about it. Um, I, but you wonder um, if, it, if it turns into a, a three-decade no-show, will the Liverpool fans start taking legal action against the Premier League uh, for the absence of that, that trophy at their ground? The, the second-place trophy, do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Liverpool fans, you heard it here first. If you want to sue the Premier League, <clears throat> or indeed Duncan Castles, <laughs> just uh, get in touch and we will send you a donkey. We are sending you a donkey now. We're sending Liverpool the donkey, but we're we're giving it to you, the Anfield faithful as well, uh, so that you can ask your club why this is the case. Because let's face it, uh, you guys have been absolutely faithful throughout and some people at the club have not lived up to your expectations um, and it's now time to deliver as uh, tabloid newspapers love to say when it comes to uh, a new season. That's your questions answered for this Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And of course, if you want to continue the debate, please do at Transfer Podcast on Twitter as our official handle with Duncan and I individually, which we've noticed in the last few days, you guys have loved to get in touch and we love it when you do. It's at Duncan Castles, at Garbo SJ. If you want to give us something back, please do get onto iTunes, give us a five-star review and we can get even more people involved in the debate. We'll be back on Friday to, at which point we will be less than a week before the transfer window closes. It's going to, it's going to get very, very, very exciting. I'm sure about that. And remember, there's no yellow ties on the Transfer Window podcast. That's very important. Um, we shall see you on Friday through the Transfer Window. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Yeah.